contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. Well, I go home. I am home. And I gotta tell you, it feels fucking great to be home. You know, you might experience this yourself, but if you if you're born in Chicago, you're always from Chicago. And even if you don't live in Chicago, Chicago will always live in you. And And uh, to come back here and see this many people assembled to take part in this kind of event means the world to us, so thank you very much for being here. All right, on to the... And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring... Mr. Stone Gossett! Fucking camera in the truck. everybody now welcome to live on four legs a definitive live pearl jam podcast and in about a month's time maybe even a little less than a month's time when this gets released on the 9th because on the 5th and the 7th will be the chicago shows that are coming up they are right in our peripheral vision now and actually what's really interesting about the show that we're covering today is that these two Chicago shows we're going to see in less than a month from now are the first United Center performances since 2009, both these shows that happened in 2009. So that is pretty wild. Obviously, whenever they went to Chicago after that, it was all Wrigley Field. It was all the big moments at the stadium. So now we're going back to kind of the arena setting and we'll get to feel exactly what maybe you should expect when going to see them in about a month's time and we'll talk a little bit about the era a little bit and it was kind of a a weird little tour run that they went on because it seemed like they did a world tour in about two weeks they went all over the place in the span of two weeks and it's interesting they never really did anything like that before or after but also i didn't go to this show however i went to the show the next night And I think my stories will be somewhat relevant to this. We'll see. If they're not, then we'll figure it out as we go along. But I think it's time to introduce everybody. Randy Sobel over here, John Farrar over there. Hello, hello. Hiya. Yep, back to Chicago. Feels like we did a lot of these. 
now we're we're back in an arena one that's going to be very different it's one of those things any of the big cities chicago san diego philadelphia to an extent new york but not really new york because we did all those msg shows a long time ago it seems like we average like one a year from these big cities and chicago has no lack of shows it's like in maybe the 20s or the 30s of how many shows have been played in the city or around the city and i guess this is just another one that that we have to get to and i think they've played six times at the united center before they're gonna play these two shows next month so it's a place that they're familiar with and i guess the last time that they played there was 2006 which were also really really good shows yeah, it's cool that we get to see a little bit of the venue too. We there is a partial video for this. It was cool to actually like watch it and be like, oh, like that's exactly where they're going to be in about a month. Yeah, and I think I mentioned it before, so I might as well kind of get into it. I, I've been to this venue, and it was the very next night from this, and it was a Sunday Monday tandem of shows because that that's really weird. You don't usually get that. That's kind of a strange thing, and I remember. At night two, I remember Ed saying at one point, oh, you guys are more of a Sunday crowd than a Monday crowd. I'm like, what does that mean? Because he was kind of egging people on the whole entire night to be like, come on, come on, come on, let's go. So I don't know if there was kind of a difference from the crowd. I can't really speak on that at all. Maybe he was just really fired up. But I didn't go to this show because I had just got a job about like a month or two beforehand and my job was at the Worldwide Leader of Sports in Bristol, Connecticut. And, of course, when you're, like, really new at a place like that, you get absolutely zero privileges. Nothing. You want a day off? Too freaking bad. You got your Tuesday and Wednesdays off, and that's what you got. If you're lucky, someone will switch with you, but the scheduler is going to make sure that the veterans get the Friday and the Saturdays and Sundays and all of the holidays and days off. It's just what you go through. I think it's not too much different than any job that's not a nine to five. So I remember when I got hired, I actually told the hiring manager, I said, look, you're hiring me with one caveat for the next two months is that I need off the Monday and Tuesday, I believe it was, because the next day we went to Wrigley. I went with former Live on Four Let's co-host Matt Helbig. And the next day we went to a Cubs game, and that's where Ed threw out the first pitch and sang one of his many take-me-out-to-the-ball-games that he's done there. So that was fun to go see that. But I said, look, if you're hiring me, I already have this planned. I have to go to this. I already bought airfare and all that. And they said, okay, there you go. And you're hired and everything seemed to work out until like about eight and a half years later. But I digress. I do remember some excitement going into it, like backspacer wise. And looking back, I think as far as backspacer goes now, I have a way different take on it than I did back then. And I think that's just sort of, I don't know, maybe growing out of your taste or any time that an album comes out, you're just excited to hear new stuff and it feels fresh, no matter if you really like it or aren't as much of a fan of it. 
And we talk about this album sometimes, and we talk about the songs that get played more commonly. The Fixer, Got Some, and usually we don't speak very, very highly of them because of how we feel about them now. And looking back on it, it doesn't necessarily feel like these songs are really staple of Pearl Jam history. But back then, when you have a couple of takes of The Fixer, when you have a couple of takes of Got Some, that's exactly what you wanted out of this show. And I was excited to hear both of those songs. And there's going to be a moment in this show where this one, they play a Backspacer song that we didn't get on night two. And I was really jealous about that. I'm like, oh, a new song. Like, everybody wants a new song live. And we didn't get it. I didn't know what it was. And YouTube wasn't as, like, on demand as it is now. Usually, you can go right after a show and you can see some clips get uploaded. But back then, you had to wait a couple of days or maybe somebody posted it and got blocked. Who knows? But I didn't really hear Supersonic until a little bit later. But there was a lot of hype on the album. I remember a lot of people thought that The Fixer and Got Some, the key phrase was back to basics because they had Brendan O'Brien back producing them. But back then... Of course, I was super, super excited for it. Now, I don't necessarily want to hear those songs in sets, but I think for the time, you have to just remember that it was exciting to the masses. Yeah, I remember, I think the Fixer had leaked, and they ended up doing Got Some on Conan when the brief time that Conan was hosting The Tonight Show. Crazy. I remember, I remember liking that a lot. Then didn't like the fixer very much. That target video with the fixer backspacer was going to be like a target exclusive thing. And it's like, what are we doing? Was not really into that as much. But yeah, weird kind of time. A lot of people love that record and a lot of people have it very high on their list, which is fine. But that's not the Pearl Jam that I gravitate towards, the more happier pop rock kind of stuff. So yeah, it was kind of lukewarm on this album. It was kind of the first time that it happened for me. Like, Avocado was kind of like, okay, we're still in the primary here, so I'm going to give this a shot. But Backspace was the first one where it's like, hmm, maybe this is not really my thing anymore. And again, still had not gotten a chance to see them live again since 98 at this point. So was still kind of going in blind on that part. But these shows in 2009, I mean, like I said, they're doing these shows before the album comes out, so they're not previewing a lot of stuff. You know, you're not getting Just Breathe, you're not getting Amongst the Waves, you're not getting Unthought Known, stuff which would become kind of staples from this record. So it feels like it's not really a Backspacer show yet, but it would come shortly after this. Yeah, Fringe is a Backspacer, I guess is the best way to put that. And I guess I'll mention this now because I kind of teed it up before. Yeah, this was a really weird mini world tour starting from August 8th and kind of ending in August 28th. So back in June, that's the Conan performance. They debut Got Some, and like you said, everybody loves the new song. Then they went to Calgary on August 8th. I believe that was a festival, yeah, called the Virgin Festival. And if I'm not mistaken, I thought I read Ed make a comment being like, oh, I thought all virgins would be here. So, you know, I have to throw that out there. But then three days after that, they're out in London. They do a show in London. Then they do Rotterdam. They do Berlin, which is a show we've covered before. Back to UK for Manchester and London at the O2 Center. I believe... 
the first London show, I believe, was like a club show. It's the Shepherd's Bush mm-hmm. Empire. Yeah. I believe that was a small Normal. club, like maybe yeah. like a surprise fan club show. Then, like, quickly after that, three days later, they're in Toronto. Two days after that, they do the back-to-back in Chicago, and they do one more in San Francisco a couple days after that. And, like, that is one of the strangest sort of roadmaps for a tour that I've seen them ever do. I guess it's just kind of early backspacer promotional stuff, but it's not really a full-fledged tour at all. And then once the album came out, they played Key Arena a couple of times and then went on, did the whole thing over to the Spectrum and all that. But yeah, it's very weird. You would not see that nowadays. And that's kind of the thing there, because in 2008, I'm coming off of my first show at the Garden. And I kind of said to myself, I'm like, I can't miss it. I definitely can't miss anything local, but I really can't miss anything that I feel like I want to travel for, anything that feels like a big show. So knowing the history of Chicago, I chose this. And then I think very shortly after the Chicago dates went on sale, I believe that they announced the Spectrum and everything else that was going to happen West Coast-wise. And because of the whole work thing, decided to sort of ignore that. And I actually was offered a ticket to night two of the Spectrum and turned that down. And I think that was like the weakest of the four. So I don't feel that bad about that. But yeah, second show. So I had a lot of great expectations and like great desires coming from that. And if you want to know what all of them were and you want to know other stories like me missing a flight and still getting to Chicago on time, I believe I told that one it's all the way back you gotta really dig dig deep into the archives for this because it's episode number three yeah it's the first episode that wasn't like an instant reaction because we did the fenway ones right after the fenway show happened and matt and i kind of decided oh well we should do for the beginning like a bunch of shows that we both went to because it's fresh in our heads we can tell stories so if you really want to go back to it You can. I'm not going to say it's good. I'm actually going to say it's probably not very good. But if you... It was was different. It was a different show back then. Yeah, and I think that kind of conversation will come across when we get to our five-year anniversary show, which should be in a couple of weeks. So, But somebody does have a story from this show because he requested it as his episode request from Patreon, and that is Andy Lore, great friend of the podcast, got to meet him in St. Louis last year, really great guy, as well as his brother. And he joined up on the Horizon Leg tier probably a handful of months ago, and this was the show that he wanted to do. So, And what's great is that Andy's going to be in Chicago next month, too, so there's a lot kind of tied into this that really works out here. So I'm going to share his story right now about why he picked this show. It had been three years since I had seen my first Pearl Jam show in 2006. I was completely hooked after experiencing Do the Evolution. The energy was incredible. I couldn't wait to see my next show. When we got tickets to the Chicago date on the 23rd in 2009, I was very excited. Having only been to Chicago once several years earlier, I was ready to see my favorite band in Eddie Vedder's hometown. 
My brother and sister-in-law had never been to Chicago, so the morning of the show, my wife Tammy and the rest of the crew headed out. The trip was fun. We went to the Bean and did a few other things. The bus ride to the United Center was the first time any of us had rode a city bus. We didn't know about the trains back then. We found the Michael Jordan statue, which was very cool. The opener of Long Road, that is one of my favorite openers. It was fitting since it had been over three years since my last show, and it definitely felt like a long road. Corduroy into Wygo is always a great way to fire up the crowd. A few songs later, Given a Fly was played, and that song really hits me live. Once it's played, the concert seems to take on a whole different life. It's like the plane just left the ground, and we are flying a thousand miles per hour. In Hiding is one of my brother's favorite tunes. Going from that to Man of the Hour is a perfect combination. In Encore 1 featured not one, but two Who covers. Only being my second show and not knowing any better, those covers blew me away. I can still remember Encore 2, when Ed talked about Michael Jackson's recent passing, his words and thoughts about how Michael was gone some time ago, even while he was still alive, were very chilling but appropriate. But when Needle in the Damage Done was played, it really made you stop and think about how much damage had been left in the wake of those needles. The remainder of the show with Rats and Smile was just amazing. Funny, but all these years later, I still can't hear Needle in the Damage Done without going back to this show. That's a great story. Thank you so much, Andy. And it's really interesting because I was sort of thinking about this. I don't know if you remember it, but summer 2009 was insane for celebrity deaths. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. You had like literally Michael Jackson passed away. And then like two hours later, because Twitter had just kind of blossomed into being the beast that it would become. Everybody started using it in 2009. I believe I joined up in 2009. So that's when information really started to get to us much quicker. So Michael Jackson passes away, and then I believe like two hours later, Farrah Fawcett died. Yeah, it looks like Patrick Swayze died that year. Brittany Murphy. I remember that. The one that'll get me more than any of them is the guy from the infomercials. Do you remember him? No. Billy Mays was his name. Mm -hmm. Hi, Billy Mays here. And he did the stuff like, you know, Flex Seal and all that stuff. And he was a big personality. And I think he was starting to really get popular and people were starting to like kind of latch on to him a little bit. And then he just kind of passed away suddenly. You're like, oh, well, that's really too bad because it was kind of fun seeing him on TV and all that. Ed McMahon, that's another one. Steve McNair, quarterback of the Titans, died. That was kind of weird. Walter Cronkite. Yeah, this was a very, very weird summer for deaths. All right, I think we got a show to get into, folks. It was in Chicago. Oh, 14-some-odd years ago, almost to the date. And the way you are going to start this is a really up-tempo version of Long Road. We've got a lot of emotion to get through tonight, so we're going to... Go through it together.
What'd you think about this one? I thought there was a little bit more drive than usual, and it kind of created a really exciting surge in the middle of the song. Yeah, it was really propulsive. I thought Cameron was adding in some like bass drum hits, doing some different things to keep it going and keep the momentum up and kind of keep it driving like that. It was interesting because like Ed to come out even before they start, Ed comes out and says, "Oh, you know, we got a lot of emotion to get through tonight. We'll get through it together." And so you think that like it's going to be this really poignant, really powerful long road, and then it kind of goes the other direction. It's not like a more melancholy thing. It's more of an uplifting thing, like I said. So yeah, different feel to it. Yeah, and another really cool element in this, and Boom is always great in this song and i think that's kind of another one of these that he puts his handprint on and people just don't realize it that whole beginning where he's kind of setting that table in the background it really does remind me of that neil young version from the 9-11 tribute yeah he just brings so much depth into the song and even when it felt like more of a triumphant version boom was there and really kind of filled in those spaces there very very good job i'm gonna say something i don't think i've ever said on this show before this is a good boom show it's a good boom show yes yeah i've got a couple here i'm looking at we're gonna talk about boom a little bit tonight i'm down let's do it yeah yeah you know this is his third album era for him and it felt like around here and then more in Lightning Bolt, it felt like they were starting to use him every other song instead of being like, all right, well, Crazy Mary, Love Boat Captain, a couple other here and there, like Better Man that we can fill and use you in. But it felt like he was out there for a lot of songs in this era. Yeah, I think so. And I think having Brennan O'Brien, too, with them, who can play keyboards and play keyboards on Backspace or having him be a little more prominent and get back in there added some more room for him to come in and do his thing and kind of translate those into a live setting. For sure. For sure. All right. We'll be on Boom Watch the rest of the show then. Let's see if there's Boom over in Corduroy and why go. There's a nice little here we go and to kick you off into Corduroy and Ed does it again a little bit later in the song, but... This is kind of too like the show of surges because it feels like almost every other song has this big surge in the middle where you kind of get the rise from the crowd, you get the clapping going, you kind of pick up the pace, pick up the energy, and Corduroy has such a dynamic one where it really does feel like you're riding the wave of energy. And when you get fired up in that and everybody's going and and it feels like you're coming down the roller coaster when Mike starts to wail into his solo like that right there, that's a good way to kick things off. And Mike, too, on Why Go in the beginning. We talked last week about like songs like Whipping, where he kind of puts in some flourishes in the background, stuff that he doesn't usually do. I heard that in Why Go, too. Very, very nice show for Mike as well. Definitely, I think Why Go is a little bit of a talking point here too. This is kind of the Why Go version 3.0, where like you started the modern era of Why Go, like it had gone through that kind of like the long break and then they brought it back and it's different and they brought it back and then went back to the original version. But here, they really started throwing it in a lot. Looking at live footsteps here, just from this show, this was the 330th performance of Why Go, which is you know sure from a song from the 10 era. 
they've played it 140 more times in the last 13, 14 years, which there haven't been as many shows. So why go definitely in 2008, 2009, after it got over that hump in 2006, really was on an upward trajectory. And you started seeing it a lot early on in sets like this to get the crowd going early. Yeah, and I think that kind of goes into sort of an overall point about this show, along with the surges that I mentioned before. Some shows that you get, and you get a lot of 2003 shows sometimes and 2000 shows where it feels like, oh, this could have worked in a club, this could have worked in a setting in front of like 2,000 people. This show, already within three songs, feels like a true Arena Rocks show. And I feel like they kind of started to become that band in full in 2006 when Avocado came out, but I feel like here, that's completely their wheelhouse now. They are playing for the arena atmosphere. They're getting the fans involved in Why Go, and they're all singing back. And it was good moments. No wasted time at all. Just a very, very hot start to a show. Yeah, and he has, I think he has that line like, when I go home, like I am home. Like you, you get yep. this entry really on day. We're in Chicago. This is a for Ed. He's going to be telling some stories tonight. This is definitely an Ed story show tonight. It was a little weird to pause after three songs like that. It felt like you kind of could have worked off a little bit of the momentum. But hey, I think he got a little excited because of the hometown thing. Like you said, why go home? I am home. And it feels fucking great to be home. You might experience this yourself, but if you're born in Chicago, you're always from Chicago. And even if you don't live in Chicago, Chicago will live in you. To come back here and see this many people assembled to take in this event means the world to us. Thank you very much. And now a combo that I don't think anybody would have saw coming. God's Dice into Dissident. Now, I think normally... That whole sequence, like Dissident would be like the end capper to that sequence. I think it would work pretty well. But these two sort of on an island together are mm, fine. But they definitely could have benefited from the momentum that Wygo and Corduroy brought in. Yeah, I could see that. You did the three big crowd favorites early on, and then now you're getting God's Dice is kind of like going to turn everyone's head and be like, oh, this one, all right. But, I mean, Ed's really into it. It seemed like fun. They nailed it, did a really good job on it. Did you see, like, Ed's maniacal laugh during this? Yeah, yeah, and he's, <laughs> he's crazy. Being really being really emotive. Like, it was a fun version, but God's Dice is never going to be a big crowd favorite song. But then, you know, you get Dissident, which gets everybody going again. But it's, it's kind of that transition, and you're getting out of that first part for sure. And then at the end of Dissident, Ed kind of changes that line, which will kind of tee up what his next speech is going to be. But he says, escape is never the safest path, but you got to do it anyway. Fun little audible right there. And coming off of that, he said the last thing that was being said was about escape never being the safest path. This song goes out to anybody here from Schoenberg, from Juliet, Rockford, Rockton, Skulky. Naperville, Elgin, and he just kind of runs through all these small towns that I guess are kind of like Evanston in a way, and then kind of recites a quote from Lou Reed saying, he once said, the best thing about growing up in a small town is that it really makes you want to get the fuck out. I think he does this almost every time he goes to Chicago, especially like in later eras, you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. 
pandering to the crowd coming from all over the place. But that leaves the next section to be Small Town, going into Sad, and then going into the number one single off of Backspacer, The Fixer. So, very folky Small Town. Again, anthemic is such a buzzword for this show because everything just feels like it's being played for fan service and for the fans to react and being big moments, and that's exactly what you get. I did really like the spot for Sad. And we do have a little bit from Javier to talk about Sad in a second. But what did you think, especially kind of those two, before we get into Javier stuff? Yeah, Sad for sure I thought was good. Like, I noticed too, I think you changed all the pronouns to like she and her. I wonder if there was like someone in particular he was thinking about there. But yeah, yeah I really like that as well. Did you notice what Jeff was playing on Sad? No, 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 no. So, Eddie mentioned Rockford. He was playing the cheap trick bass that he has. Okay. Yeah. So very cool there. Kind of a little nod to the hometown thing. Makes a lot of sense. And then for Javier's point, I think what I really liked about this is that there's something really cool blossoming from Mike's guitar here. It had this very like buzzy sound. And I didn't want to say what I thought it was before giving it to Javier, but he told me what it was. I'm like, that was exactly what I thought. So here's the gear guru explaining to you what I thought in his words and what he thinks, which is more valuable than anything that I could ever think. So I think you'll like this. Hey Randy, hey John, hey everyone on the podcast. So for this week, we are covering night one from the Chicago United Center shows from the Backspacer Tour on 2009. And we are already in August. I'm so excited to see everyone in a couple more weeks. I call them good old friends now since we met in person in Record Store Day in Seattle. But like, I miss you guys. I'm very much looking forward to see everyone and let's just get to know each other too with the new ones that i haven't met out there so just stop by and say hello let's hang out and also we need to celebrate randy's birthday in chicago hint hint anyways let's back to the music well the first song that i wanted to talk a little bit to this week is sad sad has a very unique feature so the majority of the times with the solos going being played you're going to hear this little layer underneath the solo track so it feels like you're playing with a 12 string but actually it's a whammy pedal the whammy pedal has one function that is going to allow you to play with an octave higher or lower and in this case mike is using an octave lower since the octave higher is being executed by his playing on the guitar this pedal was heavily used in between 2006 and 2010. Later on, for the 2011 tour, was replaced by Electromonics Pog, and then later on, even after that, was replaced by the Electromonics Full Pog. Like, there's two versions of it. There's a Micro Pog, and there's, like, the Pog. The Pog is going to allow you to do, like, organ sounds, a bunch of different, like, really cool stuff. But yeah, I just wanted to kick it off with this. Very simple little detail, but it always catches everybody's attention, especially when you hear the song live. And maybe we'll get it in one of the nights that we're going to be attending in this tour, hopefully. Because it's an awesome track, and I know that's one of this podcast favorites. 
All right. He'll be back very, very soon for giving a fly. So hang on to your hats there. Anything on the fixer, just being really fresh at this point and still having the excitement of being a brand new song. It feels like the band was really into it. Well, we said we're going to be on Boom Watch, and so I'm. Oh, I got it too. I got to bring up Boom here. Like the little piano line in there is great. Like, where has that been for the last 13 years? Like, yeah, front and center. Oh, love it. Yeah, absolutely. He sounded very polished and upfront in this mix for sure. I think the mix is mainly why we got to hear Boom a lot at this show. But yeah, they played it eight times up to this point. They're just going to keep rocking it throughout the next three or four years or so because this is the song that kind of puts the album on a map, if you want to say. And that always has its positives and negatives because at first everybody's really into it and then there's this massive drop-off when you get to like the end of the 2010 tour, 2011 tour in Canada and and a little bit in South America, it feels like people are a little bit worn out on it. And I even felt that fatigue a little bit with Mind Your Manners for a little while. So it just happens with those songs. Fixel was cut last year almost every time. I think it didn't even get played at all. No. Those three or four times ended up getting cut every single time. But we never really talk about it. This is more time than we've ever spent talking about the Fixer. But yeah, that video for the Fixer going back and looking at the show, like seeing some stuff about that. I hate that video for the Fixer. <laughs> it's like all bright. And there's like, I think it was paid extras that were there to kind of like dance oh. and rock out to them. And it's just so lame. I do not like that video. Yeah, I don't have great memories of the video because it's attached to the Target ad. Because I think the first time that I saw it had the Target logo on the back end, get Backspacer here. Oh yeah, you'd walk into the Target and you couldn't escape it. It was playing on 45 TVs in the electronic section. I think I liked that back then because I'm like, yeah, everybody else listened to Pearl Jam too. That's right, my favorite band in your face. But now I'm like, come on. Don't sell out. Don't be like that. If they get played in a department store a little bit, it's like, okay, that's a nice little nod. But to be like... Don't do it on their terms. Right. To be like the focal point, not happening. Anyway, they enjoyed themselves, and I'm sure they got paid out nicely. That's just what happens. In the middle here, after Fixer, Ed says, Cheers to all you singers out there. We thought these songs were going to be played under a Midwestern summer sky up in the outdoors. This is interesting because before hearing this, I did not know that these shows were originally desired to be in Alpine Valley. How crazy is that? Yeah, I mean, Alpine Valley has been a focal point for them throughout the years. So, yeah, that's not surprising. But they would make good on that a couple of years later. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no doubt about that. So he says, for one or ten reasons, it didn't really work out as much as we tried. But the next song was supposed to be played in the outdoors. I guess we can imagine this in here, or imagine those Chicago Bulls championship flags that are right behind us. There's some major championships in this room, so think about that. And, hey, the Bulls won all their championships back in the 90s, but this is right before the Blackhawks boom. Blackhawks were starting to get really good in 2009 they would end up winning the stanley cup the next year and then in the course of about five years win three stanley cups so that place was starting to get loaded with championships after a while i'm sure that they'll probably mention that a little bit next month too along with the bull stuff of course all right given a fly i 
kind of got hot take for it. And thankfully, I'm going to get backed up by somebody that can probably give you a hotter take and a more educated take on it. And that's obviously Javier. I didn't feel a lot of warmth coming from the tone of this song. It felt very overly static instead of kind of like a more blossoming and sort of warm vibe. It just didn't feel that way. It kind of felt, I guess, almost sterile in a way. That it didn't have that like bouncy fun given to fly that, at least for me, and I know for a lot of you too, that is the kind of given to fly that we sort of stand on. Yeah, it just didn't have that. I didn't really get that from it. It's not one of the great soaring given to flies that I'm going to go back to, but you're getting in the middle of set, you're giving Mike a chance to shine on it. So I didn't get that sense from it. It felt fine to me. It felt like it kind of soared in all the right places, but yeah, we can check and see what Javier says. Yeah, I'll give it that. I think the surges and the soaring aspects of the song were well done and the crowd definitely fell into that and catered to it. But the tone of it was just not very welcoming. So I think there's a little tiebreaker going on here. Let's have Javier break the tie and see the direction he goes. that this is a very sensitive topic of conversation amongst fans but i don't speak on behalf of randy or john i don't like this tour like at all i just don't like in the way that it sounds for me it just doesn't fit let me explain why so for example the song given to fly it's a song that is so full of harmonics dynamics it's a song that you can build up to a point where like the crowds gets wild where everybody sings along right the problem for me is for this tour that all the equipment and the settings and the eq make the song sounds extremely flat the myths on this tour were all over the place it's like the most present element that you can hear along we were so spoiled in the past because the previous tours before this, it was a combination of so many elements, but like the dynamics of every single song and like the key elements of every single song, I think they were kept absolutely fine. Let me explain why. So I think that this combination that it was used in 2009 tour, like Savage Amps, Savage Heads, Stone was running, JCM 800s, Box AC30s. Those are super chimey amps and they're gonna be very right and very mid-present. It's kind of like the speaker is broken kind of thing. Like that's the best way that I can explain it. But before that, like we had so many different things like interacting at once. That for example, the song Save You, the previous sets and the previous EQs and the previous equipment will work perfectly fine. But in this one, if you hear Save You or if you hear Given to Fly, it's just not there. But again, very personal opinion. I know that some people are huge fans of this tour and that's totally fine. I'm just saying it from my point of view. Although, I think the 2009 setting 
works extremely well for softer songs, like for example, like a Small Town, Man of the Hour, or Long Road, and this show sounds extremely well. I just think that for the more heavier songs, it just doesn't cut. I know, probably we're gonna create some rashes throughout the week for comments and all that, but that's what I think, and let's just open for a discussion from now on. Well, I think it's two to one on the non-given-a-fly side here. And once I told him that, he probably mentioned there about how much he hates the 2009 tour and sort of what they were using in 2009. And I don't disagree with him. That's probably why we don't do a lot from this year, is that it just doesn't sound the same. But he can talk about that until he's blue in the face. And yeah, does a great job with that. So... That's his only segment for today. So thank you so much, Javier. And as it comes closer to Chicago, I can't wait for you to be my seat buddy at night two. It is going to be a blast. And I'm going to ask you a thousand questions about what's going on, basically. So we'll be able to talk about it on the podcast at a later date. So we're turning the mic over to Jeff Ament here. And he asked for a small favor. For the last five years, every time that I've come to Chicago, part of the benefit of coming here was getting to see my best friend, Mike Richter. Okay, some of you might know the name Mike Richter. No, the answer is no. It's not the former Ranger goalie, Mike Richter. Yeah, His birthday. Right. Yeah, I remember that name. Mm-hmm. His birthday, I believe, is in September. So it's not him, and I don't think he has any ties to Chicago at all. I know he's American, but I don't know where he originates from. But yeah, not him for anybody that would be thinking about it. He says, this is the first time that we've been in Chicago, and he hasn't been able to make the show, and it's also his birthday. So let's all sing happy birthday to him, which leads to a big happy birthday song. And yeah, it's a little strange because... What would you think you would follow up a birthday song with? Ooh, yeah, just like Better Man or something like a little more uplifting, something a little more of a beat to it, you know, something you can dance to. Yeah, and the choice here is Come Back. And I'm actually not going to throw a dig at Come Back at all. I think that it was weird to follow up a happy birthday speech, but in a sense of where it is in the set, and when you're looking at the set on paper and how it all balances together, this is a perfect spot for this song. I've never seen a better spot because when you went to last year, I went to both those shows in Toronto and MSG, back-to-back shows essentially, if you're not counting Apollo in the middle. And they played the song number two and number three in the set, respectively. And my thing with this has always been, like you kind of need to sort of address a moment for this to feel as powerful as it does and when that's being played so early in the show you don't get the opportunity to really do that so when comeback is in the sets it's usually found like early in encore one that's usually its main spot however here and like being sort of the primer for even flow i think really benefits this song It is a perfect balance of how the set is working so far. You add a ton of energy and momentum. You went from small town, sad upbeat, fixer upbeat, give it a fly really upbeat, and then you're building that wave back up to get to even flow, which is gonna be another big moment. And I really, really enjoyed that. But not only that, but this is a hell of a performance too. As you mentioned before, we talked about all the deaths and here, 
And then a little bit later in Man of the Hour, it wouldn't really be addressed as to who they're talking about, but something is on their mind. Yeah, and I thought this too. Like, I wondered, because they didn't mention if Jess Friend, the reason that he wasn't at the show, like, does he have some terminal illness? Is he not going to make it? It felt like it was kind of directed at him to like, hey, you're not at the show. We want you to come back. It felt like there wasn't a lot of details given, so I wasn't sure. But I love the song now. It was another one that's really grown on me. I've kind of see it a couple of times, and it's really great live. The spot for the comeback doesn't bother me as much. Like, they don't have any songs like this, so it's always going to stand out wherever it is. But when it's done like this, yeah, it can fit anywhere. I've been wishing high and you could feel it from the crowd you could feel it from the band like everybody's kind of locked in sync here and then you're going to come out you're going to do your version of even flow that's going to get everybody going that's going to get everybody moving here i think that like back to back with those is just a really cool juxtaposition of basically toying with your emotions like okay we just kind of messed you up a little bit and now we're gonna get you guys to bounce around and sing again. So it's also another massive arena rock song. As I was mentioning before with Why Go and Corduroy and a couple of those other ones, this is fitting right into there. What about Even Flow felt like a powerful performance to you? It's the jam after Mike does his thing and the solo starts to wind down, they kind of lock into this groove. There's like a really cool jam for a few measures before the song kicks back in. And I was hoping that they were gonna like, just sit on this for a minute, like see where this goes. Don't be in a hurry to get back into the big chorus, but it only lasts for a short time. I was hoping they would extend it a little bit, but right before it kicks in, there's a really cool part that I really thought was unique and put it elevated the song a little bit and made the performance funny. Yeah, it kind of felt like they were almost teasing a little drum solo in there too, right? Uh, maybe a little bit. It had that kind of feel to it, yeah. Like when Cameron kind of starts out that boom, 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 like it felt like he would have had a second or two, and that's coming off of Avocado where he was doing that like essentially every night. So now Save You and Hiding are going to follow it up, and it is actually teeing up Save You as being written about a good friend. And now... The way that this song is sort of developed and how this story's kind of been kept secret from us, I think a lot of people thought it was about McCready for a while, but last year, 
somewhere in Europe, I can't remember, I want to say maybe it was Imola, before Save You, Ed specifically says, this is about a friend who still hasn't been saved yet. And it was really hard to kind of pinpoint who or what he could have been talking about. You know what I mean? I think a lot of people thought it was about Lane. Yeah, uh, that Lane too. It died in 2002. Yeah, I don't think we're ever going to know. I don't think it's... I don't think, I don't think it's ever, our business. Yeah, yeah. It's not a song that they're playing every night. You know, it's not an even flow. It's not an alive. It's not a small town. We're just going to talk about it and feel the need to go through it. And they're never going to do the Riot Act album show. So you're not going to get the story time for Riot Act. Yeah, it just throws in little hints here and there. But this is another one, too, where I've got to mention Boom. Great little performance from Boom on Save You. Love the little accents and hitting those chords on there, just sitting on top of everything. Sounded really good. Another underrated one that he has good presence on. Yeah. What do you think about In Hiding? Fun performance, good crowd participation, ramps up at all the right times. Yeah, it throws in the, oh, I was high as hell, which gets the crowd going a little bit. That was fun. But yeah, I mean, you're riding that even flow high, and this is kind of where we're getting into more of the deep cuts and B-sides. Yeah, and what's interesting here is that you can kind of go through the last five songs, including what's coming next in Man of the Hour, and you're kind of capping off a section that started emotional with a section that's going to finish emotional too. And again, Man of the Hour has no hint of who it's dedicated to, but you can tell because this song is really powerful and because this song has like a purpose to it, you can tell that something again is on their mind for this. I love this Man of the Hour performance. It's so different from anything we've heard, and they hadn't played it since 2006, so it was due for a comeback. But yeah, this performance, you know, we're used to hearing those kind of Ben Arroyo Man of the Hours. They're really acoustic, really stark, where like you can hear a pin drop, and it's really focused on Ed and his voice. But this one is all electric guitars. It's Cameron, like more bombastic. This is a very unique performance of Man of the Hour. I love this. This is one of the highlights of the show for me. A fantastic performance. set starting with insignificance going into got some and then closing the set with spin spin the black circle there's some things to kind of mention here and talk about real quick on insignificance another big highlight for cameron it really feels like he's doing some double time at the end to finish this and really make some impact on it 
there's a part in Insignificance where the guitars drop out and it's just Jeff and Cameron playing, like a little bass and drum break, which sounds really cool. That kind of made me sit up and go, okay, they're doing something different here. Because usually Insignificance is known for like the three guitar attack, but here you get everybody drop out and it's just the bass and drums. It sounds really cool. And now Gotsum is going to follow up on that. And again, it's kind of like the same thing with the Fixer. You're showcasing these two songs that everybody seemingly knows, but I think a lot of people here, if you weren't traveling to Toronto, which I think somebody did get in touch on Twitter and said, oh, I was at the Toronto show too. So they had already seen this live, but everybody wants to hear these songs first and foremost. So I think the excitement about hearing the fresh new songs gets everybody up for it and i think the band knows that they're more up for it because they want to impress the crowd with these songs they want the crowd to notice fixer and gotsum and say okay if you're gonna play this for the majority of the next couple years then i want to be on board for as many shows that i can be and i think at the time like i mentioned with fixer it definitely got a lot of people excited as much as I don't love the song, I did like it back then. I will say that. Not yeah, not yeah, love, but I liked it. Yeah, it definitely had some energy. But I got a fun stat for you. I know you like stats. I don't know if it stuck out to you. Look at this. The way the new songs are played here, Fixer at 8, Got Some at 16, Supersonic at 24. They spread them out perfectly evenly. 8, 16, 24. Hmm. Yeah, that's some weird math right there. And like giving them a little bit of feature, like the fixer was featured right in the middle. Got some gets a little spot right here, and then Supersonic is going to get played right in the middle of Encore too. All right, well, yeah, you're spacing them out. I think that that's probably a great idea from this. But it also, like you mentioned before, it doesn't necessarily feel like a backspacer show because of that, right? Yeah, no, it's it's a very equitable album-wise set list. Like looking live footsteps here, Versus has the most, but only with four, and then. 10 in Backspace for three, a bunch at two, and then Riot Act and No Code with only one. So, yeah, you know, I think everything got representation. Yeah, and you kind of started this set with Long Road and Corduroy, which are Vitalogy era. I know Long Road is not a Vitalogy song, but you mark it for 1995. It is Vitalogy era. And you're going to end with Spin the Black Circle, which, look, you got some stats, so I got to have some stats too, right? I went and asked the king of the stats, Dave Jantash, over at livefootsteps.org, how many times that Spin the Black Circle was used as a set closer, because I thought that that was pretty uncommon and unique. So the numbers here, as a main set closer, it has closed a show six times. I think that's probably more than I would have thought. But when you get into the Encore, it's actually closed it eight times, believe it or not. And then, believe it or not, it has closed an Encore 2 as well in 1994. So what do you think about this as being your kind of final moment of the main set? Does anybody remember Ruckus? I like it. It's been the Black Circle is one of my favorite songs by them. So I like when it gets a spot like this. I think it's unique. It's not something that you're going to hear every time. It's similar to getting like a go or do the evolution kind of to end a main set. But 
I will say too, I wish they would kind of give it a little bit of extra push at the end, give it a little bit of descent into madness, give me some chaos at the end of it to really bring the house down. That's exactly what I was thinking. Where is the frantic energy for this? Where is Mike doing circles and laps around the stage? I just didn't see it. Yeah, it just didn't have like a finality to it. You know what I mean? Like it leaves you wanting more, but it doesn't really kick you in the face like Porch or Blood or Rear Mirror does. It just finished and it's a fine option, but you needed a showstopper in the midst of all these big arena rock songs that you have in the set. It didn't quite follow up with that. Yeah, they're going to come out in Encore 1 and it's going to be a complete 180 as far as tone and that whole thing. But like, I think Spin the Black Circle can be that, but 2009 Spin the Black Circle is not that. Yeah, I agree. And lest I forget, because I actually had a joke here and it came after Ed mentions, does everybody remember records? My joke was, yes, actually I do. I have two copies of Atlanta 94, so I can't forget Rocker. <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot of you are feeling me on that. It's not a bad show to have two copies of. It's not, but hey, look, mystery. You go into it and you know what's coming out for you, but it's just a little weird that I literally got that record about a month before I got it again in the mystery, but everybody did too, so I guess we're all in the same boat. All right, we're at the encore. Let's pause for station identification and talk about the things we like to talk about in the middle of the program. Hey, all the patrons out there, how you doing? Well, we got a brand new one this week, and we want to thank her, Holly Graf, or Graf, one of those two. Holly, thank you so much for joining, and you joined on the Giggle Egg tier, which means in the future, you can let us know what show you would like for us to cover, and just like Andy's request today, we'll do it up for you. We're happy to talk about it and tell your story and all that, so hit us up, let us know what you want to do, and we'll try to sneak it into that heavily scheduled already 2024 list that has really been dug into, so we'll try to get it in there. That's why I'd like... Everybody, if anybody's listening that hasn't gotten a request that's on Gigleg or Horizon Leg, get it as soon as possible so we can do it as soon as possible, you know? We, we try yeah. to get as many as we can throughout oh, the year. Let so. us pick the shows. You guys pick the shows. That's right. That's right. It's easy for us. We can just say, all right, well, put that one there. And hey, if we did 2006, next week we should do 2013. All right, we'll put that one there. Thanks to Holly for sure. That's fantastic. Yeah. And if you are sitting out there and you listen to the program every week and you've been thinking to yourself like, ah, should I do it? Should I join Patreon? Well, that's up to you to decide. But I will give you a little bit of what can be enticing about Patreon, especially coming soon. And that is the post-show reaction episodes that we will be doing. And it's going to be great. We mentioned the last couple weeks, they will all be from site. And what's very cool is that you can actually be a part of the podcast if you wanted to. If you were going to the St. Paul show, then we have Kirk Walton out there gathering people all together and finding a spot where everybody can get together and do a live recording of the podcast and basically share what you just saw. Because look, can say it till we're blue in the face, John and I 
for a couple of these shows. Obviously, I'll be at my own, but John will be at the computer for all of them. We won't get the experience of being there live. So us talking about it and maybe one night there's not a good live feed or something like that. Maybe we're just kind of talking about like broken set list or whatever. Maybe we're just not hearing it as much as we would have liked to. But hearing it from the horse's mouth, the people that just got out of the show that might be really excited about this. And we did this when we were at the shows on site last year. I think those were the best ones that we probably did because it was our instant reaction. So we'll be doing that and we'll be talking to people from site. And if you want to be one of those people, then please get in touch. Get in touch, either message me on Twitter or Facebook, I'm always around, or live on podcast at gmail.com if you want to reach out for that too. You can get involved in the podcast. You don't have to be a patron. You don't have to be a long-time listener, a short-time listener. It doesn't matter. If you want to be a part of it and tell your story about what happened that night, please, we would love to hear from as many people as humanly possible. But, however, if you do want to listen to the episodes, you do have to become a patron. That's where we put all of the Patreon stuff. So to join up, patreon.com slash live on four legs or go to the Patreon app and search for live on four legs or you can go to live on four legs.com and click the become a patron button and that's how you do it. You can join on the bonus leg tier for a dollar a month and you can get all the content coming over there. Coming rather soon will be the Letterman 2006 extravaganza, the 10 club show that they did afterwards in the venue, which would be very, very fun. We're going to have that in the next week or so. We have a hallucinogenic recipe episode up on the horizon talking about November 1995 and those shows and those tapes and some of the monkey wrench stuff that was going around. So that will be exciting. That'll be fun to do and listen to. And we got evolution episodes planned starting next week. We're going to do a run of a couple yield shows here and we are going to try in this time to get you guys a do the evolution evolution episode. So that's going to be our goal. And we'll have a couple more coming throughout the year once we get there. But do the evolution evolution. If you haven't listened to any of the evolution episodes, definitely get your hands on them. You can listen to all of them. If you join up on the bonus leg tier for a dollar a month, or as mentioned before, like Holly did, she joined on the giga leg tier, which is $5 a month. Or if you want to be really, really generous, join for $10 a month onto the horizon leg tier. And we will have you on for a profile episode and give you a profile on the website. And hopefully at some point we'll be able to do some specialized merch packages as well. So all of that is available to you. Now, speaking of Patreon stuff and people that have been patrons for a very long time. And it's great because more people keep joining and it's great to see the numbers go up and it's great to see the participation go up. It's all due to how long we've been around. And in about a month from now, we'll be celebrating our fifth anniversary, believe it or not, John. Yeah, time flies. I mean, I remember, you know, even before I was on the show, I remember when you guys started up and kind of checking out the show. And I remember, I think I was one of the first people to start emailing back and forth. You know, I think Aurelian, you know, was number one. But Aurelian will always be number one. Yeah. Yeah. But I remember emailing you guys early on and like going back and forth and getting into it. I was an early listener too. So yeah, I remember those days. It feels like it's flown by. It really has. And kind of like we mentioned before with episode number three, that does feel like eons and eons ago. 
And no, I haven't gone back to many of those episodes. I might have like listened to one or two here and there just to have a laugh, I suppose. But yeah, episode ten is not bad. Uh, gee, I wonder what happened in that one. <laughs> is episode thirty-one okay too? Is that what 31. that was? Thirty-one's good. Okay, it might be thirty. Thirty or thirty-one. Yeah, I don't know. It's a, of that era. I kind of yeah. lose count after. Yeah, go back in. Go back and check those out. 30. 30. It was 30. All right. Yeah. yeah, so what we planned on doing, we mentioned the last couple weeks that we were going to have people write in, record messages for us, and wish us a happy birthday or share your favorite moments, share your favorite stories, what have you. But that's all nice and good. However, it's just better to all get together. And that's what we're going to do on August 23rd, Wednesday night at 9 Eastern. We're going to do one of our infamous Zoom parties where everybody will get to hop on board and we'll get a chance to give everybody the chance to talk and say whatever they would like and kind of share some memories here. And we'll share some memories as well. And we'll kind of do a couple other things as that night goes on. So that will be our episode at the beginning of September, our five-year anniversary look back. And if anybody has some things you'd love for us to discuss or episodes that you'd love for us to kind of go back on, let us know. And I'd say email us, but just join the party on the 23rd, guys. So that link will probably be passed out in a couple weeks right when the party is going to happen. So bring that to your guys' attention. Also, going to bring to your attention two other things. There is a fantasy, I wouldn't call it league, but competition that's up over at livefootsteps.org now. I've been working with Dave really hard on putting this together. It's not in the same fantasy league as it was last year, guys. So it's not drafting and it's not going head-to-head with eight other teams in a league. It is more of the FanDuel style, and we call it JamDuel because of that. And basically, you pick your team ahead of time through different kind of categories of rarities and commons will be tiered differently. Like, we'll have a live porch and even flow. You'd only be able to take one of those. We have some interesting little caveats that go into this. If you drop songs, you can't pick them back up again. So basically, whoever scores the most points will win the thing in nine shows. And that's really tough to do a fantasy league with nine shows. So we decided to opt for this. John, are you going to take part in this? I'm signing up as we speak. Awesome. John's in, you guys. So if that's enough for you to want to join to beat John, maybe we'll just make that a campaign, just a beat John campaign. He's about to name his team, like, hard to imagine me winning or something like that. Hard to imagine me losing, whatever it was. It didn't work out too well last time. (laughs) No. Pretty easy to imagine that. But you can try to beat me, too. We'll see. So, again, livefootsteps.org, you should be able to find there on the homepage. It should say Jam Duel somewhere over there. You can get there, sign up, make a creative name for yourself, and pick your team. And then we'll start on August 31st, and we'll go throughout the whole thing, all nine shows. Lastly, go to liveonfourlegs.com if you want to continue to help with our fundraiser for Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. We are selling raffle tickets at the moment. And we are giving away some prizes. Now, it's going to be announced at the karaoke event in Chicago, but you don't have to be there. You don't even have to be watching it 
on the live stream to be a part of it. So if you wanted to make a donation, if you wanted to put in for some raffle tickets or some really, really cool prizes, including a neon Eddie Vedder sign that I think a lot of people are going to get excited about, then it's on our homepage. It's on one of the sliders. Just click on it. There's a couple different raffle packages that you can purchase, but the $20 for 10 tickets is a really, really good deal. So definitely think about doing that. And potentially you might be walking home with one of three really, really cool items. So, and we ship it to you anywhere worldwide. So if you're down in Australia or over in Ireland or something like that, it doesn't matter. We will make sure it gets out to you. So that is that. We just keep raising money and we're excited to see how much we're going to be able to donate over to Cystic Fibrosis. We'll kind of know a little bit after Chicago, and we'll reveal that on the show. All right, guys, back to The Rock. It's a short encore one here, which is interesting. It's four songs, and then encore two is six songs. Ed says we need a minute to argue about what we're going to play next. Tonight, for the first time in 13 years, we played with a band who we played with in a little place called Soldier Field, and that's Bad Religion. And this actually comes at perfect timing, because I just bought tickets to go see Bad Religion on their tour, literally days before recording this, so I can't wait to go see them in late October, which yeah, is great. Kind of anniversary tour, right? It's like Recipe for Hate anniversary? Oh, I'm all in for that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I've seen songs like Skyscraper or Kerosene live before. So, yeah, I'm really into that idea. And it's funny because I think the last time I saw Bad Religion, and I've seen them upwards of seven or eight times in my life, was probably at the next night when they opened. They didn't even have an opener announced until like two weeks leading up to the show. And when I found out it was going to be Bad Religion, I freaking jumped out the window i was so excited so yeah it was great they were awesome and made for some really really fun moments in the opener that you just don't get sometimes a band that you're that familiar with so i was very excited about that so what's going to happen to open this up and to sort it in this little section you're going to start off with the who then you're going to finish off with the who and you're starting with a little bit of boom we got another boom section, John. That's right. this because it's a little bit in the aftermath of the 2008 VH1 Rock of Honors version which we will end up getting to at some point maybe it's the next one who knows in the late night series that was mentioned before 
but they were starting to really implement it a lot and it's a powerful version being that boom's a big highlight and ed is stretching his voice and doing his stuff but i think the highlight for me in this song was stone hearing him on acoustic here yeah not only was he strumming this and like about to rip his arm off while doing this he was rocking out more on an acoustic that i've ever seen him rock out on before and this is like Stone Era with like long dad hair. Uncle Stone Era. Uncle Stone, right. Yeah, the guy that hangs out in the basement and listens to records and lets you smoke weed. He was awesome during this. It was just so much fun to watch him and it just brought that depth of power into the song. All kind of came from what he was doing. I, I thought it was tremendous. Yeah, I'm right with you on that. Stone's the highlight for sure. Sometimes we've talked about it where he'll just turn on the acoustic pedal for the electric guitar, but he's actually got the acoustic guitar. At one point, he's hunched over and he's just like, just going for it. It made the song from watching Stone. This was great. I, I love him going crazy on that acoustic guitar. It overshadowed almost everything else. You know, it almost has that extra jangle to it that you might hear from like when a 12 string is being played. Like it just had yeah, way more to it. to it. Yeah. Hell, you know what? I'll see if Javier wants to talk about this because this is a nice little highlight. So I'll drop it here if he happens to give us anything. before I was saying that this settings they don't work for me like when I was saying my comment about giving to fly but now on love right over me I think Stone's guitar sounds absolutely fantastic it's jangly it sounds kind of like a 12 string ish when in reality it's not but again this is a good example of this setting the kind of equipment that they were using the kind of guitars too works extremely well I think for this tour as well, 2006 and 2009, we are forgetting one key element of the Pearl Jam sound. I think Eddie forced himself and pushed himself to sing in the way that he has never sang before. And that's something that I profoundly, profoundly respect and admire. I know, I said before, not my favorite tour, maybe not my favorite sound, my Pearl Jam sound, but the one that I like so much, but I have to recognize as well, and I have to give credit to the man, of course, the lead singer, force himself and push himself to sing in a way that he has never sang before. But again, it's one of those things that we might agree to disagree, but I just wanted to point out that there are so many different combinations that for certain songs they work, for certain songs they just don't work. Well, sometimes you kind of work off the fly, and I realized that this would be something that I'd want to hear Javier on, but he's a champ, and he loves to do this, so we thank him once again so much. We didn't think we'd have three seconds from him at the show, but here we are, and the more the Javier, the happier we are. So, in the middle here, Life Wasted, and then getting into the real me... I noticed during Life Waste, and we were talking before the show that you noticed this during The Real Me, actually, is that he is looking down at his notebook a couple times after fudging some lyrics here. Trying to be real sly about it, but you can see on the video, you're like, his eyes are looking down for, mm. for some of this. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know who's to blame him. He's getting up in age at this point. He's not in his 50s yet, but he's like mid 40s. So 
yeah, it starts to take its toll, especially when you're like Ed and go at everything at full force. And I guess it's like just watching Stone again. Him and Jeff just kind of stroll over to each other and start really rocking out. And he's, he seems like Stone especially is in a really good mood at this show, the way that he's just so loose during this. And usually in kind of the late era of this band, Stone is really kind of set in his spot and doesn't really move around a whole lot barely even grins sometimes he's a machine out there almost but he has a lot of personality and a lot of energy at the show it was awesome to watch yeah i agree they were really getting into who things you know ed talks about we played these because that's what i was listening to when i was in evanston and going to work and staying up late and there were a couple of times i remember they would do a couple of songs and not even baba here it's just the two of a little more of the deep cuts yeah and that was interesting because i remember talking to matt the next day i think he said something like oh they played two who songs and they did needle and the damage done at the time we'll get to needle when we get to it but like they really had not done it all that much i think there was like the third time with the night before in toronto it being done but not since a version with flea in 1995 have they did it so it was like oh well maybe one of the covers didn't work but i don't know it's ed tapping back into his childhood so yeah i think it really works here ed kind of gives a, a tee up that this song is gonna have heavy 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 presence from jeff and he is of course the one in charge on this and puts it together really really well we've talked about it before you need jeff to be good on this song for this song to have its energy and flow to it absolutely nails that completely well john we're gonna get into a situation once again that alive is not going to be where we usually notice it to be yeah yeah so to tee up before getting into that Ed kind of says those are the songs that he'd listen to out in the freezing cold on the L trains waiting for that thing to come at like two in the morning. I rode my skateboard into work in Evanston when Walkmans first came out. So that's why we played them here tonight. That's where you get into a live and yeah, very, very quick encore one. I don't think it lasted much longer than 25 minutes, if probably shorter than that. But it's another big arena song. It felt like there were massive Cameron moments. It felt like there were massive Mike moments. Had a feeling of a hometown show in Chicago. It felt like kind of the party was on a little bit. Yeah, and that's why it's weird that it wasn't in like the comfort spot. But again, we kind of mentioned this because this is going on three weeks right now where we haven't gotten alive in the notable spot that we usually get it in. And I think I had mentioned that the next night it would be state of love and trust to go into fucking up to go into Ledbetter. I think you got it in the same exact spot then too, closing out the first encore. So yeah, this might just be the era for that. And that's kind of that. So it, it does bring in some, I guess, sort of unexpected excitement when you get to what would be the moment, but it really works. And it's a big arena anthem kind of required song for this show. Encore two. Ed does the rounds here, talking to all the sections of the crowd, including the crowd who is very high, who are also very high. That's the second high reference that he's made. At least we got screens so you can see our fucking ugly faces. Well, that's okay. I'll be getting Botox tomorrow. 
When I was up in Evanston, I was getting these memories of being a really little kid. I was in a house with a lot of older stepbrothers, African-American and Irish kids, who were all much older than me. I was six, and they were 12. But down in the basement, we had a turntable, and they turned me on to good music. Tons of James Brown, Sly and the Family Stone, which that makes a whole lot of sense going back to Soldier Field as to why maybe he thought... That was a good idea to bring out everyday people there and all the other Motown stuff. And as a kid, the thing that I was attracted to, because the kid was only a few years older than me, was the Jackson 5. There's been some sadness lately about that, but it feels like we lost him a long time ago, actually. So I'm going to play this one. That's where Needle and Damage Done comes in. So as I mentioned, not very often to get this one, but you can tell by watching it that Ed feels pretty emotional during it. And granted, we knew a lot about Michael Jackson, but we didn't really know the extent that we know now. So for everybody, this kind of hurt in a weird way where he was out of the public eye for so long. I guess we didn't really get much closure from him, but I think what we found out a couple of years ago about what he was doing was closure enough, but still people were in that aftershock of one of the biggest celebrities of the past 50 years passing away. So it did impact people like Ed. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that goes back a while. I think there's one show. It might have even been Atlanta. I know Michael Jackson is innocent and all that stuff. So he definitely felt a connection there. And yeah, this is really poignant. I mean, coming off of the celebration feel of Encore 1, you're getting a little bit of a switch here too. And yeah, a really unique song choice when they hadn't done it in a long time. It's really quick. Like, and again, we're going to switch gears and very quickly afterwards. But this is great. And you can tell Ed's feeling it a little bit. Yeah. And it all ties in together really nicely. It's all a tribute to Michael because after Needle, you get a little bit of the first opening chords to Michael Jackson's song, Ben, which obviously, as we all know, is part of the ending of the song Rats, which Ben will get you into Rats. Thank you. 
that was a cool way of doing it. That was a cool way of paying some tribute. And maybe in retrospect, it's not a great look. But to pay tribute to somebody that had accomplished all that and what we knew of them then, it made sense and it was a really good moment. So for Rats, I'd really love the Mike Slide guitar on this. Like that was what made the song for me. Yeah, again, a 2009 Rats is not going to hit the same as a 93 and 94 Rats. But yeah, this one, even if that's Mike take over on it. After the Michael Jackson tribute, Ed says this one is for the nice young lady here that wants to hear more new stuff. The band attempts to kind of figure it out and get on the same page. And then Ed kind of looks back and says, I bet we'll fuck it up. So that leads into the second all-time performance of Supersonic, the only other one that they really brought out before the album came out. I think the end had been played at solo Eddie shows. I, I think I that's something. Show, yep. I had a feeling, yeah, that's why I kind of bring it up. But this was kind of the first time anybody outside of people that were over in, I guess, UK heard it the last time. So I don't know how much rounds it made, but it didn't play it the next night. I didn't know it when I was told about it the next night. Like I mentioned before, there weren't YouTube clips or anything like that. And it would only be played a very mild 17 more times after this. This is actually the only Backspacer song I've never seen live, believe it or not. Got to see it once, yeah. It's one of the weaker songs on the album and in the catalog in total. Well, it's just, it's just a Ramones tribute. Yeah. yeah, but I guess, like, for me, I always thought that if you're going to do punk rock, like, I want it to sound raw. I want it to sound like punk, and this song always felt way too polished, and everything on Backspacer feels polished. It's an 80s remote song, not a, not a 70s Sure. <laughs> it's an end-of-the-century song and not Road to Ruin. I feel like I've always kind of wanted to like it, but it's just not there. And this performance didn't really make me a believer of it either. Yeah, I mean, you pretty much got to go to Cornwall City to hear it nowadays. But... Sure. They were there last year and didn't do it. True, true. But yeah, this is another one we're at too, and he's just blatantly looking down and reading the lyrics on it. The second time ever. So Who can blame him? Kudos to the girl who wanted to hear a new song and that they actually did it. Surprise. Good for her. Yeah. Glad Maybe you got your wish. Maybe that girl goes to some of the shows in, in September. <laughs> we do the same thing and we get to hear a, a new song. Yep. Get her in the front again, please. Yeah. Get her a sign, for sure. All right. We got three more songs left. Ed introduces the switcheroo here, get Stone on bass, get Jeff on guitar, and mentioned that Jeff wrote that one, as did a guy named Dennis, and has to kind of clarify in Chicago, no, it's not Dennis Rodman, it's Dennis Flemian of the Frogs, who is here tonight. He wrote the words in one of my notebooks, and then I stole it from him. And as the song kind of goes on, he's like, no, borrowed, borrowed, borrowed. So I have a Frogs thing about this because it's going to be smile river mirror yellow lead better and just like black into yellow lead better i was really intrigued to see what the numbers were for river mirror yellow lead better back to back and it had only been played four other times however the first time it was done was at milwaukee in 95 a show that the frogs had opened up how about that and the Frogs famously covered Rearview Mirror on the I, Immortality single. 
put it all together. Yep. yep. It's like they freaking planned it that day. Overall about this section, what are the talking points for you? Smile, I always like it was nice to get a no-code song thrown in there at the end. Always fun. I like, as they're introducing Stone, he does a little bass run. It sounds cool. And then he introduces Jeff, and Jeff does kind of one little guitar thing. Like, hey, I can do this too. But yeah, whenever you get Smile, it's always fun. But then, yeah, I love Rear Mirror near the end here. Just bring the house down. Another one that's just driving and propulsive and feels like it's bringing you right up to the edge there to close the show really, really good. Ed really, really wanted to get the finally the shades are raised line at the end of the choruses there. I think he was having a little bit of extra hometown juice, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I don't think this one is like, when I saw this, I was like, oh, this is going to be like 10, 11, 12 minutes. I think this is going to be like 7 eight. or 8. But yeah. Yeah, I was hoping we were going to get a really epic one, but wasn't to be. Still very good, though. Not, yeah. not a bad one to be heard in the bunch. It kind of felt a little like twilighty, kind of twinkly. There was a surge in it, but it kind of felt almost like a, a dream scene kind of version of this. But look, they end this out. Of course, this is going to be like the last big moment before Ledbetter. So they end this out with a big finish. Had a lot of impact on it. Mike is holding out some of those really high notes blistering through while Cameron's at absolute full locomotive speed on it. So, yeah, big finish and gets everybody excited. And then you can run into Ledbetter after that. So Ed says right before getting into it, you did great. Did we do okay? If we knew all your names, we'd thank you individually. Thank you for letting us be a small part of your summer. This is how Mike McCready likes to say goodbye. It'll be a while before we get back here. 22 hours, actually. So, Ledbetter again, like we mentioned, Noah Live, River Mirror going into Ledbetter, which is very interesting. And this time, we got a Star Spangled Banner tag on the end of it. I think for a while, because they would do it the next night too, they did that consistently whenever you heard Ledbetter. Obviously, he's going to do the Hendrix style, the drenched in feedback version, but this one felt like it had a little extra feedback and oomph to it at the end. Now, we talked a little bit about stats earlier. You want a mind blowing stat? Hit me. I can't take credit for it. This one was shared by Eddie Quintana. And look, I don't know what it's going to bode for for the next Chicago shows at the United Center, but all six shows that have been played there have closed with love better. Okay. And you have to think, like, these two are back-to-back, and then 2006 was back-to-back. That's pretty rare that you would get the same closer kind of back-to-back, especially twice. So I wonder if it was one of those things where Ed kind of thought, well, this sort of needs to be this way because it's hometown and all that, it's celebration and all that. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say that streak gets broken this year. Yeah, I think one of the nights will end with rocking. I don't think they'll do an indifference. You might even get a live. Oh, logically, that's very, very possible. Yeah. We'll have to see. Because you think about it, they didn't play Rockin' or Baba at True. these two shows, so maybe they we're... They Rockin' almost at all last year, trust me, I know. <laughs> Getting back into that fantasy thing. Now, okay, let's pick some moments from this show that we thought were our favorites. I'm going to say my number three here is the... Michael Jackson tribute section from Needle and the Damage Done to Ben and Rats a little bit less so, but I like the Ben intro on Rats. I liked Needle and the Damage Done especially. 
My number two is going to be Comeback. I thought that was a really, really well done version, really good set spot for it. And believe it or not, that's going to be the only original song that I'm putting in my top three, because my favorite moment from this show was Love Rain or Me. That just blew me away. Really excited by Stone's incredible strumming. Boom, bringing his presence in there. Ed, at this point, is able to hit all of those high notes, and everything was just working on this. They really put together an awesome version on the show. Okay. Well, I'm going to continue. That one's going to be my number three, Love, Rain, or Me. My number two is going to be Long Road, and my number one is Man of the Hour. Very, very solid picks. I think we picked a lot of sort of dedication kind of songs, if you know what I mean. All right, well, now it's time to rate this. This is fine. I don't think it's my type of show. If I would have went to the show, like Night 2, I don't think of it as one of my top shows that I've ever been to. It's probably, you know, mid... I did give it a 7, but things were different at the time. I'd probably give it a little higher now, I would assume. But it's like in the low mid-tier of the 27 shows that I've been to thus far. This is kind of like within the same realm of that. I just don't have the emotional tie to it, really. And it's going to be higher than what I gave the night two, because, again, what we did back then was we were a little bit stricter as to what we gave shows. I'm going to give this show a respectable 7.5. I'm going to bump up a little bit on that. I'm going to give this an 8. Okay. I think, you know, it's being a hometown show for Ed. He's in a good mood, telling stories, some really great performances. Like I said, Man of the Hour, Long Road, Even Flow was great, Come Back, some unique stuff. You get Spin the Black Circle to end the main set. Needle and the Damage Done is a rare cover. Supersonic, getting this only the second performance. So I think there's enough stuff here. I'm, I'm going to give this one a solid 8. Can I change my rating? I want to call it a near 8. Because I'm not necessarily at an eight, but I'm like hovering right around it. That's why I gave it a seven and a half. You blew that one with Simon. I think that we I just wanted to share a recurring joke. That's all I wanted to do. Thanks for indulging everyone, especially you, John. All right. Well, as mentioned, the next little series that we're going to do is going to pay tribute to three 1998 shows all in a row here. That second leg was just phenomenal that year. Matt had really kind of found his place within the band, and they were firing on all cylinders from August well into September. And we're going to start it off with a show up in Toronto. Actually, you got to call it Barry and not Toronto, because that's where the actual location was. And it was at a festival where Cheap Trick played, and it was also the show where they debuted the Do the Evolution video, so they played to the video as it was going on in the background, which is cool. Unfortunately, I don't believe we had video for that, but we'll try to relive that as as much as we can. That is a request from Alex Sink, who, if you remember... A couple years ago, we wrote up the article about him with some of the artifacts that he owns and went to this show. And this is the set list that he covets the most. So bring that up because he's a good guy and he's a good collector. So I figured if anybody has any clues as to where you can get the set list for this show, then get in touch with Alex. So we'll talk to him next week, I'm sure. I think we can kind of do our ending spiel here. If you like the show, please subscribe. Apple, Spotify are the best places to do it. 
And if you want to give us a rating, please feel free. If we deserve it, if we have good episodes and you are on board for the most part, then please, a five-star rating would help. That would be spectacular. It would help our visibility, of course. But really, the thing that we want to see is we want to see the comments. We want to see what you guys think about the show, not because of us and kind of flattering our egos, because we don't really need that, but we want the next person that's looking for a Pearl Jam podcast to know exactly what they're getting, to know that they'll be in good hands with their shows that they have fond, fond memories of. I don't think we can tell them that as well as you guys can tell them that because we can't necessarily be fans of our own podcast. We enjoy it, but it's you guys. It's you guys that do the legwork on this. This is the legwork part of Live on 4 legworks, I suppose. Anyway, I think we're clear to end this one out. This may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, miss you already, miss you always. To the Yield Tour next week, I think I see a sign. I wonder what it reads. Yeah.